This is Market Call. I'm Dan Nathan. That is Carter Braxton Worth. Thanks for being with us here today. This episode is brought to you by FactSet, our friends at FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're powering me um, today. Um, we miss Guy Adami. Guy, Guy is in uh, somewhere in Tennessee. Uh, believe it or not. Um, and uh, he's he doing, doing? <laughs> he's actually speak guy has um, he is one of the best. Listen, you guys, you've known guy for a very long yep. time. Okay. He's been on TV. He's about one of the most natural people I've ever seen on TV. He made a nice transition to podcasting. Um, he also does a lot of live speaking and he's great at it. He's actually, it's probably one of the best things that he does um, is live speaking. So he's doing that in front of a corporate uh, crowd today. So he won't be with us today, but he's going to be back tomorrow. Carter. How about this, bud? How about this? I remember one time we had a good laugh. I think Guy said, I'm sitting next to you. And you go, no, no, you're sitting across from me. Yes. Anyway, I am sitting across from yeah, you. It's you a are. pleasure to be here. This is uh, going to be fun, man. We, we got a, a lot to go through here today. And, you know, one of the things I think, um, one of the first times in the Risk Reversal Media universe, you joined Guy and me was early 2021. You were one of our first podcast guests. And a lot of people would say, well, how do you bring a technician on an audio right. podcast, because you know you're the one who telestrates. You got all your pictures. You do a lot of videos for, um, you know, worth charting. Um, but sometimes it's just fun to talk to Carter. That's right. And hear we, what he's and, got to say. We, we, and I remember that first yeah. effort. We were just talking about the concept of, is there wisdom in price? Yeah. Right. And that whether you depict price pictorially, which yeah. is a chart, or whether you just think about the original tape readers. Yeah. They were just watching, wow, this ticker keeps coming up. This ticker keeps coming up. There must be something going on. And now this one's up a dollar. This one's up. That's that's a pictorial thing a different way. There was no chart, but you're looking at the ticker tape and you're noticing yep. this activity, meaning high activity, high turnover with a stock that's moving up or down typically means something. What are some of the earliest, um, I, and I'm sure you've studied this, um, what were some of the earliest financial charts that, like, that came into being? That like, When did technical, technical analysis, when was it born? And the reason I ask that is like everybody in our business, when you started, they give you that uh, reminiscence of a stock operator. And it's a book that was written literally 110 years ago. And mm -hmm. a lot of the lessons about trading that that they wrote about then, about an actual trader then, are as is, is relevant as they are today. The way they went about it was very different. And it really was tape trading. And the other thing I'll just say is that what you just mentioned, when I started in 1997, I worked at SAC Capital. That's Stephen A. Cohen. Stephen A. Cohen, who's now the owner of the Mets, one of the most successful traders ever, he used to sit there and just look at the tape, just look at the tape and type in tickers all the time. In his head, he was must have been making a mental picture of, of course, the internet price action. Well, so that's talk what, to me that's about what that. it is. And so if you think about it, let's put it in very pedestrian terms. Um, when you're getting a message from something that's happening over and over, a tape reader, yeah. let me let me lose this analogy. If you were blindfolded and you were a checkout person at Walmart and you here come a pair of sneakers, right? They're just telling you it's sneakers and then there's garden hose and then there's cat food and there's an air conditioner. And then it's some, here's some record players and here's an, a charger and there's an air conditioner. And then here's some uh, groceries and here's some other things and there's an air conditioner. Wait a minute, air conditioner. Air. It must be freaking hot out. Yeah, Meaning yeah, yeah. that's what a tape reader is doing. They're like seeing all these things. So a chart, whether you do it pictorially or as a tape reader looking off the ticker tape, when you know uh, U.S. Steel keeps coming up, U.S. Steel and this knocks up a dollar up too. You're like a tape reader, a momentum player tries to embrace that and say there must be something going. On. Now, a lot of people want to, and this is perfectly loud, then go inquire, look around, call someone. Is there something going on in yeah. U.S. Steel? I don't do that. That's the fundamental part. But uh, one can join both efforts trying to learn the why. I'm not in the why business. I'm in the what business. I just want to see what's happening. U.S. Steel on the move. Let's try to. Play. Yeah, but what you do in, in, in the in that part of your business is that you give a lot of fundamental 
investors or traders, you give them a, an important input because you've already recognized something important. They look at you and they say, okay, well, here's a guy who's really good at this. So let's figure out the why, you know what I mean? Right, and so that, right. and that, that was my job. I worked for a guy who was just a momentum trader. Right. And until he told me, go figure out why this is happening or go figure out why that analyst upgraded the stock or something like that. So to me, I, I think all those are really important um, inputs. And we talk about these sorts of things that, that we all rely on when it comes to trading. You know, we get also really bogged down. We're also, um, in, you know, in the pundit business a little bit, right? Like sure. if you think about it, we show up on CNBC, we we offer our sorts of views and we end up being a slave a little bit to some of the things that drive narratives, right? And so one of them right now is clearly the Fed. Fed Chair Powell, okay, we just had a meeting a couple of weeks ago. They did their pause. They did indicate the fact that they're going to likely uh, raise two more 25 basis point um, hikes this year. What he said today was really interesting. Um, he's over in Portugal and he's speaking with Lagarde and he's speaking with his counterpart in Japan and England, that sort of thing. He basically said that they're not sure that right now policy is restrictive enough that they're not ruling out that 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 those two 25 basis point hikes don't come consecutively. So that had a, a certain hawkish tone to it. So when you sort of see that, and we saw some volatility today, okay, we started the day with this uh, Wall Street Journal story that the Biden administration may strengthen some of the bans on advanced chips to China. And we saw some of the biggest leaders in the market. You know, mm -hmm. NVIDIA was down 4.5% on the opening. So we were down, and then that was that hawkish rhetoric wasn't great for the market, but then we rallied 30 handles. And it seems like there's a lot of 30-handle rallies in the S&P 500 right now on a 4,400 number. We're seeing that a lot. We are. And even though a sort of a volatility or VIX is, is very low, we're getting a lot of intraday yeah. um, reversals, right? Where you're up quite a bit and you give it back or this morning down quite a bit and then recover and go back to unch, but we are unch. Yeah, let, let's pull up really quickly the NVIDIA day chart just to show this. Like, you know, I was looking at it at four in the morning when, you know, pre-market and then there's not a lot of volume, but, you know, I saw that headline when I woke up. Um, you know, it was down, you know, four and a half percent or something like that. It was nearly unchanged okay on the day and then you look that it's kind of giving some of that um back right now so to me uh, again i why are we focused on a name like this well it was a part of that headline b it's a trillion dollar market cap company that's gained a half trillion dollars in just uh you know five or six months or so and it seems to be very much at the core of the excitement um carter about the market here how important maybe they can pull up the smh the semi chart here how important are the semis to you as you think about as a broader mosaic of different sectors? You know, you keep hearing about, well, we better see some of these more cyclical sectors. And this is a very cyclical sector. It just happens to be wrapped up in something right now. Um, start to participate a little bit in this. And they have yeah. to some extent, but not to the extent where it would really uh, validate the, the crowding, right, yeah. in certain areas of the market. Uh, semis are very cyclical. Uh, there is a, a general view that's creeping into the investment community that they're going to be less cyclical uh, than they've been in the past. We shall see. Yep. Um, but in NVIDIA, we know if you look at the market cap of all stocks in the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, um, you know, I think NVIDIA is 30, 40 percent, and the top two are almost 50. Yeah. And so it's this is the whole shooting match. And we know it had a, that huge re rating on the 25th yep. um, and then followed through. But basically, after that second day of follow-through, we moved above 400. We're sitting at that level. So uh, bullish or bearish, that consolidation at 400. Well, so what it is is, in, at least as I learned it, when yeah. you gap up a little bit or gap yeah. down a little bit, yeah. you're typically in response to news. And if it's three and four percent, there's follow-through. 
But when you get a really epic gap where you get re-rated, let's take something extreme, an FDA approval, yeah. and you're up 30%, you don't budge because markets are very efficient in getting you to where you belong when it's big news. So notice NVIDIA, that was big news, right? That was a, in, in the big PMs that I talked to, a lot of them page one holders, they're like, no, this was this was such a blowout in terms of what they're saying about their growth rates yeah. that um, the stock moved so aggressively that I think it kind of uh, doesn't move here. You'll see this back and fill. Like I would sell volatility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're along the stock, you'd sell like strangles mm -hmm, against the long mm -hmm. stock or something. Let's let's pull up AMD for a second because what's interesting about the re-rating that you talked about in late April, or I guess it was in May, um, in NVIDIA, you know, AMD went up in sympathy with yep. it. It gapped similarly, not to the extent or anything like that. So now that's filled in that gap. And if you look at that breakout level, you know, going back to, let's call it, August of last year, right? It, it I think, and I, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, you say, well, it did what it was supposed to do, right? It checked back to, it filled in that gap and came back, back to the breakout level. How are you thinking about, forget the fundamentals here, how are you mm -hmm. thinking about a chart like this? Well, first part of happily, I don't, yeah. don't know anything. Well, you don't funny. have to forget I don't them. have to forget yeah. them. They're not, they're not known to me. But uh, what we do know is, just as you've articulated, the stock did gap up on the same day. That yeah. would be the 25th of, of May. And now has retraced all of that. So the question is, um, is it down to support? It's down to a level before general news, not specific mm -hmm. to the company, but general semiconductor news was released, NVIDIA, of course. But it's not really all that big of a level of support. I would say, and this is important too, remember, support is not a plywood board mm -hmm. or concrete floor. You get down to support and then you can sink into support, mm -hmm. right? It's like a little bit like a child jumping on the bed in the hotel room, meaning the top of the mattress, but you can go into support before you ultimately find support. So it's down to support, but support goes all the way to 100 and then some stocks trading. I'm looking at my facts at here, 109, yeah, yeah. 66, 67. So uh, buying it here, no, I think you probably get it at 100. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Uh, one 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 last question on this. So you just spent what two three weeks in Europe meeting mm -hmm. institutional clients. Mm -hmm. These are investors who primarily, uh, obviously, they have allocations to European equities or global equities, but they're focused on U.S. equities because that is what you do, right? Um, it's not so much that whether it's that the the U.S. market is such a bigger market than, yeah. than any other market that most of the long short hedge funds have U.S. exposure naturally, yeah. or some of them are dedicated only, and even the um sort of EU-based only or European equity only or global equities, they still have U.S. exposure. So, right. But listen, uh, conversations will go from Royal Dutch to British tobacco. It's ever thus. The point is that, of course, a chartist is agnostic. Yeah. A chart a, is a chart, and I try to offer judgments. But you're speaking to a lot of PMs, portfolio mm -hmm. managers, who, again, like we just started out this conversation, who use lots of different inputs, right? And so, yes. so my question to you is after spending a lot of time, you know, you going through charts, but then you discuss, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? You're just like having like qualitative conversations about the market, about sentiment. How did you feel European investors are relative to U.S. investors about this phenomenon that has really powered our stock market this year about AI? Now, there's not that many ways in which maybe companies that they come in a lot of contact with on a daily basis over there are exposed to this. But here we are. And we're also, I, I don't know why, we seem to be very focused on whatever the latest thing here is in the U.S. Is That's it right. less over? I'm just curious. Like, what was the sentiment? Less so, but I mean, uh, you know, I'll give you a great anecdote. I was uh, in Toulouse to start yeah. the, the trip, which is where Air, Airbus. Airbus does yeah. their testing and so forth. But uh, probably uh, 40 minutes out of, outside of Toulouse in a town that, my God, you practically have chickens running through the road. Yeah. There is a sign up in front of a building that you would think looks more like a garage that said a center for AI. And you're like, 
Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Meaning it's, it's uh, people believe in it and, and people are embracing it, but it's taken on a little bit of a fad uh, when you start to see a freshly printed sign. They don't have yeah. Kinko's there, but right. they've gone and put up a sign holding themselves out as a center for AI research. And it looked like a garage to me. Yeah. All right, fair enough. All right, let's let's broaden this conversation out a little bit. Let's look at the S and P five hundred here because you know it's funny when the S and P got above that August twenty twenty two high, right, and um, it got to what forty four sixty or something like that, and you know then it kind of retraced a lot of that move, not not a lot of that move, but you know a bit of that move um, last week. And if you're bearish as as I. Uh, happened to be at the moment, you thought, well, maybe we're at the start of something. You got a little bit nervous about quarter end sort of window dressing sort of thing. And, you know, if you look at it and see the way the market came back yesterday, the way back came back this morning, maybe that's a bit of it. Talk to us about the S&P, how you're thinking about it. You know, we're, we're kind of coming into quarter end here. It's half the year. We're up nearly 14% of the year. What, what are your thoughts on the S&P 500? So there, there are two things that obviously are important and it's not new. I've said these things. You've said these things. Everyone knows these things. But we know that the S&P, at least for what we have, is the, quote, standard to measure equities in the United States. It used to be the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now it's the S&P. Um, but the S&P has this circumstance because of its market cap weighting that it is being driven by a handful of stocks. And the juxtaposition between the equal weight and the actual weight has uh, remains extreme, with the important note that there has been some now increased participation in laggards. But still, the bifurcation is extreme, and it has to get reconciled. And it's only one of two ways, right? It's that the the laggards really start to come to life, and 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 sort of you get convergence, or the steep. And for now, that's what's been happening of late. The steep uncorrect Nvidia's and Microsofts mm -hmm. start to mean revert and give back. The one that hasn't, of course, is Apple. But let's look at some charts here. We've got one. I've got a nice big red circle there on that August high. Of course, now if we do the next, uh, let's do a a horizontal line. Interestingly, this little 3% dip, it found support mm -hmm. to the penny. Now, again, is one prior day's high support? Of course not. But it's a reference point that everyone whose eyes are working can see, hence mine are working. I have, I have contacts in the 2020, and I drew the lines that way. The point is, we're all looking at the same things. Now, look at the next iteration. This is basically what we have. So do we sink, though, down towards the uptrend line, the intermediate uptrend line in effect since the October low. So put in, for instance, the next, um, and you'll see here, this is the sequencing that's been in effect since that October low. And, and, and one more iteration, if we can do it and remove that trend line. And so I've got a question mark there, right? Do we need to um, correct, dip, sell off, drop, decline, doesn't matter what words you use, to stay on sequence. And I suspect that's what's coming. We will have more than this just 3%er, that this little update today is not the beginning. And we're, we're fading here. We're, we're yeah. down again. It's that it, this is, it's, it's corrective. And I, and I know that's, uh, look, in the etymology of the word correction, it implies that something's incorrect, which yeah. it is. It's like, it's like, listen, I, I, one of my first jobs, I was a cold caller. And this guy was, uh, was it a Dean Witter of all things in Boston. And he was a maniacal horse gambling nut. We'd go to the track. He'd say, come on, hang up the phones. We got to go to the track. And he would win. He'd sometimes have these wads. This is in, in the 80s with six, seven grand <laughs> trifecta. But here's where I'm going with this. Sometimes, I know nothing about it. They get out of the gate. The horses are running for all the five, six seconds. And he scrambles up his tickets and we walk out. I'm like, what's he doing? He knew right away 
that when his that horse that he bet on was too fast, yeah, he could never keep up that pace. I go, it's not even we haven't even done a little bit of the race. He goes, that horse that I bet on, when he comes out that fast, there's no way he can win. And guess what? Sure enough, he was leading, leading, and all of a sudden, yeah, the goddamn thing was a donkey. It was a, it brought up, <laughs> it came out like a mule. It was the last one in the race. But the point is, th we've got that circumstance here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Carter. Any data or or do you track um like this quarter end sort of stuff um you know we're there's kinda, a little it, bit of that, that you know the pejorative thing is called window dressing yeah right that big pms they let's because they get paid as a percentage of aum yeah so they said let's run the let's yeah. run the stocks we'll up. deal with the early next month we'll early next quarter month. we'll deal so with the dip pump, pump, we'll deal with the dip but let's yeah. pump it up because we get now that's very cynical and and who's to say no, people do, do that but you yeah. know things go on well it's funny and the only reason why i mentioned that is that you know when you see um the, the dip buying on the last week of a quarter a quarter that was very good uh, yes. a half year that was very good it's maybe not that hard of a, a justification um, to do that. Um, let, let's look at yields for a second here. I know we spent a lot of time um, on the inversion, but the, the 10 year, the tensions building, we're at this kind of 371 yep. sort of level here. I think last week when we talked about it, you thought um, a pair of twos, I'm not going to ask you which way um, you think it's going to break. I mean, listen, if it breaks lower, we know that the the support is, is 335 yeah. or something. Okay. All right. You're in the lower camp. Yeah. What would that mean for stocks right here, in your opinion? And this is, again, um, this is qualitative. But if we were to see at a time where the Fed's being a bit hawkish, right? Fed fund futures, if you look at the CME Fed tracker, is it's pricing an 80% probability of a 25 basis point hike at the next meeting. So that's more on the on the short end. But if, if yields were to come in, let's say, 30 or 40 basis points right now, and they're going to break down on the 10-year, would that signify, let's just say that you and I can agree, that signifies the a, a further weakening of economic outlook, that sort of thing, good or bad for stocks with lower yields? Yeah, I mean, I think the knee-jerk reaction always is it's built into the psyche of yeah. lower yields yeah. than we can, long-duration assets, we can ramp the PE, right? So the question is, is that the case? At some point, lower yields are a function of something that's unhappy, right, on Main Street, run uh, economic uh, or otherwise, uh, right, recession. Now, uh, some of the data we have all sorts of conflicting views. Well, and we can look at it possibly as the Let's two ten year spread. Yeah, yeah. But but this this setup here is very tight, just so you can feel the tension. And and there is what makes a market. A lot of people who are playing for much higher yields, and a lot of people say no, the yields have peaked. I think the peak is in. Uh, we we can look at a longer term uh, of this same iteration. So that's picking up that that shocking low of thirty eight basis points on the COVID plunge. But basically, here we sit. And so it is a pair of twos, and now you make your bets, or you could say, I don't want a bet. Pair of twos is not a good hand, yeah. which it isn't. It's kind of a, a feeble hand. But my bet is lower yields. And if we look at a long term uh, on a log scale, we overshot the trend line. Checking back to it is is normative, if you will. So uh, my That's my two thing, and a half. I mean, like, yeah, right, well, it, it depends how quickly you get there, yeah. but that's right. It's uh, It's lower. Yeah. That's for sure. I, you know, it's funny. I, I'm also in that camp. I think you and I are in agreement. A way to play that is long TLT. You could also do mm -hmm. it uh, with options. You know, TLT is usually a, a very like low vol sort of instrument in the options market. So um, I think that's interesting. I've been long of the TLT looking for um, a move there. Let, let's talk about the 210 really quickly, that spread, because, um, you know, Guy has made this point on many occasions that, you know, we're, we're, we're at 1% ish or something like that. It's been, um, uh, you know, a year that we've been inverted. Um, we can go back and look at that 06, 07 period where we inverted, but we we're only inverted to about 25 basis points. And it was a long inversion too. 
But ultimately, um, you know, you, you'll hear this also that the re-steepening of that would be for the wrong reasons also, right. and therefore might not be great for stocks. And the way I would think about it is maybe it would be stagflationary, right? If the long end is coming, you know, in, um, but the 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 two year the short end stays bid. That's because you're worried about inflation on that end, but on the ten year, it's a growth thing. Right, and and there's you know the people say bull flatteners, bear flatteners, yeah, yeah. but what we do, and this is an all data chart, at least all the data that I have, um, going back to the mid 1970s, and we are if you look at those other prior lows, right, where you have those spike lows, um, those were not good times to be long equities. Yeah, generally speaking. So the question is, is it different this time? There are a lot of conflicting uh, data points, of course, but the messaging from crude being a little bit heavy, Germany is in a recession, the two 10-year spread and other things. Uh, you know, it, uh, I think caution has been thrown out. I don't yeah. think there's any caution at all anymore. Doesn't appear to be. I mean, and we mentioned the VIX before. We had a great guest, a guy named Stuart Kaiser, who was the head of equity trading strategy at Citigroup on Fast Money a couple of days ago. And we talked about the VIX. And, you know, it's funny because I spent a lot of time, obviously, um, in the options world um, for a long time. And, and and I know that just looking at spot VIX is one thing. You right. know this is like looking at the, the futures curve is another. It tells you That's a right. different sort of thing. And he made the point that if you're looking a few months out, the curve of, of, of VIX futures is saying something very different. It's not screaming 13 complacency right. right but that's a function of the big money and how they hedge and how they use futures and in, in different products right. um to do that but i think it is simple enough to say a vix spot at 13 right now or 13 and change is screaming with with an s p that is very near 52 week highs up 25 right. off its october lows is screaming a level of complacency also when you consider the concentration and then the disparity between the market cap weighted and the equal Right. And now the question is, of course, a lot of people say that it 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 belongs here in the sense that because of the market cap weighting, yeah. because of the steady, deliberate, strong nature of Microsoft yeah. and Apple, not to mention others, that actually the market's construction is is okay. I just history reveals that when everyone likes something or hates something to an extent where it is just literally embraced above all things or abhorred about it's usually right to take the road less travel yeah all right so here's one where you could have been this way and you just said that crude ha has been heavy let's pull up the day chart here it was heavy about two hours ago um and then it ripped i mean literally it ripped from like 67 and a quarter to where we are right now at 69 and a half and in crude oil that's not an insignificant move. You know what I mean? And and granted, yes, it's been banging around like two, three percent. If you look at this kind of tight consolidation on a, on a kind of, you know, the last few months or so. But talk to me um, a little bit about crude and yeah. what you think that heaviness is speaking to, because there's a couple ways you could think about this. Right. The dollars come off. Crude has come off. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of other inflationary inputs come off. That's good for margins. If you were worried about, let's say, companies and their ability to pass through some of like these kind of higher inflationary inputs, that sort of thing. So that's good here. So, so talk to me about what crude's saying to you. And we can obviously go back to the fact that the Saudis cut production and crude didn't rally for more than six hours. So um, look, my own hunch is it sometimes, and this is, there's no technique to this other than that's what a hunch is. When the pattern is so obvious, like, my God, this thing is clearly rolling yeah. over. It's going to break. Quite often they don't, right? It, it, we, we all can see this thing is hovering there. It's going to drop. The recession's coming. China demand. You can weave any narrative you want yeah. into your mind. But I just think it's not going to do that. It doesn't make it all that great along. But if I'm 
forced to act. I want to buy here, not sell here. It, it, it's, it seems that it's too obvious to, that it will break. Yeah, it's funny though. I just, you know, again, going back to the Saudi comment or whatever, I mean, China is stimulating. So you would think that that would start something. It doesn't act well in light of some of those headlines. So to me, I'm probably, you know, I'm on the sidelines on this one and and, and something really bad would have to happen, I think, um, for it to actually get back above, like, you know, towards that that 150 day moving average. The energy stocks don't look good, right? Exxon, Chevron. But one thing I'll say to you is maybe they can pull up that chart back to the S&P 500 where you were showing the question mark with a potential eight and a half percent drop to Mm -hmm. the uptrend. You know, listen, while I've been bearish and I missed a lot of this stuff, I've actually traded well on the macro this year, like some of these instruments that we've just talked about. We're to get to stocks here in a couple minutes um but you know listen if the s&p were to come back to that uptrend i mm-hmm. think there would be a lot of buyers carter if there was agree. nothing and so then the question is you know if you're some google or your favorite ai stock or whatever if it had a little fear put back into it that's where if you missed it okay then you may want to get into it but might you be interested in looking at the oih or the xle or maybe the xlf again i am i have a bearish position in the xlf i i don't think this earnings period is going to be great but if the underperformance is reflected when the S&P corrects, okay, and there's fear point. Then I might start dollar cost averaging in some of these cheaper sectors that sure. might already be discounting uh, like a soft landing, if right. you will. Well, I mean, just to put this in context, if you were to look at a long-term relative strength chart of yeah. the energy sector to the S&P, we got down. So Cisco's worth more than any company in the world in 2000, and energy was thrown out. No one wanted yeah. transports, trucks, rails. They didn't want energy. And on the COVID sell-off, we undercut the low, relative low of energy to the market. We then rallied. It was the best performing sector for two years. We're now back at that level. I think this is what you're implying is one's right to be contrarian here. And it's interesting. If you were to just do a simple poll, I wonder what the what the response would be. If you can't touch it, yeah. 12 to 18 months, you have two choices, AAPL or XLE. Yeah. I don't think it would be overwhelmingly Apple. I think, in fact, it might surprisingly, a lot of people would say 12 to 18 months can't touch it. Yeah. I don't know. I think I might drive energy. But Apple's gained a trillion dollars in market cap off his lows in the last six months or so. I mean, one, the one thing I would just say there is like, for me, why am I focused on that uptrend that you drew? And, and like, like, a, like a proper 10% correction, okay, would put a lot of fear back. It would basically start pricing in a recession that might be a little more than what, what some would view as a soft landing. Right. And then at that point, you know, let's see how some of those groups that have been underperforming, let's see what sort of relative strength that they show. Because if everyone heads for the door right. and the Apple, the Microsoft, the center, and you see money flows start going to those other things, that might be the right time. And also you can get the circumstance where, uh, as of now, people say it's never going to correct, right? Yeah. You can also get the circumstance that it does what we're talking about, and then it doesn't stop. We know it's going to correct. And then it doesn't stop. Yeah. It goes down 12, 15. Well, Dan, all right, so Danny Moses says that. Okay, so Danny has said this in some of these names that are said, really well, people won't step in. What's the they... buy point? You know what right. I mean? And I, he and I go back and forth on that because I think that we are all conditioned. I think even the crash that we had in 2020 conditions us to do this is that the powers that be will do things. They don't want to see financial markets crater. They don't want to see protracted bear markets. I mean, I think it's probably really bothered Jay Powell. If you think about it, that they've raised, you know, interest rates, 500 basis points, the quickest they've ever done that. You know what I mean? And the housing market really doesn't budge. The stock market went down for a year. You know what I mean? But now it's right back up to where it was. And that is kind of frustrating. I, I would assume for them. Well, you can also, we know that they're very aware of stock prices. In fact, yeah. we know the government 
is one of their leading indicator inputs, stock prices. And so the strength in the market is surely discussed behind the closed doors as giving them cover. That do we do we push more? Do we raise more? If the market were down at the lows, they would be a little slower to act. But with the market up, it gives them the ability, to some extent, yeah. one of their inputs, to actually say, you know, we can stay the course. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let, let's talk about some single names before we get out of here. Um, here. Here's one that just caught my eye. It was up like four or five percent and it was Pinterest. And if you go back and you look at uh, I think it was late April, early May when they reported their um, their uh, their quarter and the guide. I mean, you can see it was a 20 percent gap. I think it went down 25 percent that day. It went down for a couple more days and, and then it filled in that gap. And then today you have an upgrade at a brokerage house and 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 the stock's parting. You know, you know what I mean? So when you look at that sort of price action where it was clearly a move on fundamentals that people were selling it down 25%. Okay. That is a concerted uh, decision to do that. And I'm not saying the same people are buying it here, but when you look at now on a five-year basis and you look where this stock is trading, um, it's kind of interesting when you go back to those kind of 2020 levels before the COVID stuff where everyone was pinning, remember everyone sure, was pinning sure. stuff in the summer of 2020, I think maybe they were, maybe they were. What is this chart on a one-year and then like on a five-year basis, what well, is this saying to you? The one that's on the screen here, the yeah. five-year, and and um, the point is that we've had a, so many of these round trips. Yeah. Um, when you have that much excess, I mean, think about it, right? You're talking about 10 to, to, to 90. It's very hard not to give some or all of that back. Mm -hmm. History reveals this. And so this is not what's important, um, unique or idiosyncratic to Pinterest. They're hundreds with Peloton and Zoom, and it goes on and on and on. Yep. The, the more um, sort of, I think, relevant chart is the one you started with, is which is the here and now chart, after it dropped and gap, the short-term chart, we can pull that up, is, is after this sequencing, what typically happens, right? And so the definition of supply entering the market, there's two types. There are people who bought in March and April, right, just before the damn thing collapsed. Okay. Not their fault. We've all been there. Okay, so a certain number of those people, as soon as it was indicated down there where they dumped it, they're like, first loss, best loss, I got to get out of here, I'm yeah. wrong. Okay, but there are a lot of people who say, I can't bear to sell it. I can't believe this happened to me, damn it. But then they say, I don't want to dump it. Okay, and so then they say to themselves, I'll Enron this thing if I have to. I'll ride this to zero. <laughs> I'm not going to be the person who dumps it. And yeah. then when it rallies back, I'll have two mistakes. I've got one mistake now, yeah. I bought it. And now it's down on me hard. If I dump it, it rallies back. I got two mistakes. It's fatal. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that woman. But now that it's rallied back, you've returned to where they entered. They mean not all the people are still there, but it's where there's one kind of supply. People who bought poorly, not their fault, who now are being given the chance to get their money back even. And a lot of people seize on that. Yeah. So that's one type of supply. There's the exact opposite. There are people who bought at the low. Dumb luck or brilliance. Right, the most astute, biggest hedge fund manager, or the most hapless e trader or merit trader who nailed the thing at 21. You know, when you buy something at 21, they flip the cards over and show you 27 or 28. That's another kind of supply. You're like, I gotta grab this. Yeah. This is crazy. I can't believe I got so lucky, or I'm the smartest guy in the room. But either way, you're at a level where supply from below, supply from above. And that makes this not a buy. It makes it. A and sell. then when you broaden it out back to that five-year chart, sure. you say that that's also a level. Okay, that 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 uh, honestly that was awesome, and I really appreciate that. Um, I want to go to a one-year of Snap. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think every time I put a snap chart in front of you over the last year and a half, you basically, you're, you're, you're going like this to me, you've been a seller. And so there, you see that, 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 that it's, trying. it's yeah. trying yeah. And, and it's a tight consolidation. There's lots of gaps there. I think the most important, it filled in its earnings gap too, not yeah. in the same way in which it was kind of slower study. And then if you pull up a five year, you know, it, it basically looks the same. Yeah, okay. And they're both like $18 billion enterprise value companies in, in, in the, uh, is this the same story for you? Um, uh, this is better. Okay. All right. So, so, so why, why is this better? Uh, a couple of reasons. So one could say, one could say for starters, Carter, this one dropped in gap just the way Pinterest did, and it didn't hit its head. Yeah. Well, what it did when it got back there, it backed and filled for almost two, three weeks. And now this continued strength, um, by my work anyway, the stock qualifies as a bearish to bullish reversal buy. Okay. Another one. Let's we'll do this like a speed round yeah, yeah. here. Robin Hood. Okay. Here's one. This is really important. Sometimes you don't care about stuff like this, but here's a company with a $9 billion market cap and they have $4 billion in net cash. Okay. They just made a small acquisition, but a strategic acquisition. They bought a startup company, a, a credit card company. They're starting to broaden out their offerings and this and that, whatever, you know? So like, this is a company that was like a poster child for like the, the COVID bull run and this mm-hmm. and that, whatever, and then it blew up. And then what is the, I know you don't care about any of that stuff, but those are some of the things I think about. What do you think of a company like this where I say maybe the fundamentals have bottomed and it's got a good balance sheet? And, and you know, I'm just curious, what, like thoughts on this one? Right. So the, the, the chart is the same, right? Yeah. We have the precondition of an epic run up, an equally epic collapse, and now basing, bottoming, trying to get out of the mess that it's in. Um, not as good as, and I'll get the symbols right. Pinterest was the one I don't like. Pin, yeah. Snap. Okay, snap, I like yeah, Snap. Yeah. This one's sort of in the middle of the two. Okay, fair yeah. enough. All right, last one here, um, and this was in a uh, worth charting uh, email today that I got to uh, my email box here. That's where an email would go, I guess. Yes, it indeed. would go to your email box here. And this is a name, um, Comcast, which is the parent company of CNBC, which is, you know, a network that, yeah. I mean, th- so you probably weren't going to put out just kidding. A negative report on the Comcast here, you wouldn't have cared one way or another. No, well, no but, I never right. do. So, that, so, so yeah. talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in Comcast. And again, I know that you've been kind of fading almost every rally, it feels like, in the last year in Disney. I can't remember. There were too many times that you're particularly yeah, constructive. Just not, it's just not working. Yeah. Right. But um, so, for starters, Comcast is the 40th largest stock in the SP. It is a big player, right? And uh, we'll move through these quickly. This is an all data chart. And uh, what it's worth, we'd all agree. It's moved, generally speaking, in its lifetime from the bottom left to the top right, uptrend intact. Um, look at the next iteration. These these are every, this is annotating every 50% drawdown in the history of the company. You can see them there. Let's put the trend line back in. So we have a stock that now has dropped uh, to such an extent and interestingly is bouncing to the penny off that trend line. But let's look at the here and now and then more immediately. So this is a five-year chart. You have that clear bull phase, mm-hmm. right? 2021, and then it breaks trend. Look at the next one. There's the bear phase, and then it started. So if we could toggle back and forth. First one, the second one, the first one, the second one. You have the great run-up, the great collapse. Let's put them together. So now we have, there they are together. What those are are trend lines, of course. And the way we try to do trend lines rather than having to be up all night drawing them is use a moving <laughs> average. So look at the moving average. Let's take away the lines and just do the moving average, right? And so what we have is all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal, at least to my eye. And you can draw uh, other annotations. Take a look. We've got, you could call it a cup and handle. You can call it an ascending wedge. Look at the near term. Uh, This uh, and final chart, we have it here. Uh, This has all the tension one wants for a, I would say, a breakout above these intermediate 
tops. I would say playing for 45 to 48. Yeah, that's a great looking chart, too. Yep. Um, I agree with that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us that's here. Today. Yeah. Carter, it was, it was honestly awesome How having fun. you here yeah. like to do this. And, and, you know, some people ask, like, you know, they see us on, on, on CNBC and, and the great Melissa Lee is she's directing traffic and this and that, whatever. We kind of have to kind of fall in the line a little bit, but it's really fun doing this. Cause like, this is the way we might be talking. If you, if I said to you, Hey, come over, let's have a sandwich That's together right. in the middle of the day. And let's talk about the markets. Like this is the sort of conversation that we might have. And interestingly for what it's worth, this is what, when you're sitting, not when it's an auditorium, you're giving a presentation, but yeah. when it's six people at a table or two or three different pods, this is what a, business meeting is when yeah. it comes to market. You talk about uh, individual opportunities, whether it's fundamental, technical, quantitative, and then people bat them around. Yeah, well, that's it. All right, listen, man, we appreciate you coming down you here. Bet. We did buy you a sandwich for coming down here, so we appreciate it. Um, like, thanks to our sponsors, FactSet, um, and they've obviously been great partners. We rely on them for all of our data um, and analytics. We'll be back tomorrow with Liz Young. That's EY from SoFi. Guy Dami is going to be back um, from Tennessee. Maybe he brought us some, uh, I don't know, maybe he brought us something cool from Tennessee. I'm you think sure. he did that? All right, maybe Shot he did that. All right, exactly. <laughs> all right, Carter, thanks for being here. Thanks for all of you guys for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow with Liz. Thank <laughs> you.